Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of Oral Presentations. Special holiday edition. This should get released on December 23rd. Holidays coming up. Everybody's busy. I figured what better time to cover the curse of King Tut than right now. I was going to do one on a holiday subject, like uh, Krampus or the Dutch Christmas or Clogs, something holiday-ish, but I figured if you got to go see family, they're going to, they might ask you questions about how your life's going, you know, and do you really want to field, you want to field questions from Andito about like, hey, so what happened? You know, are you still with Kristen? Where's, what happened? Why didn't she come this year? And you haven't talked to that girl in like seven years. You know, you might, you might, you know, specifically you might, uh, you know, you may, I mean, I'm definitely going to come up against that. So my strategy was I'm going to learn a bunch of King Tut facts. So I'm trying to pass that along to you guys too. If you guys want to deflect serious questions from family members that are like acquaintance level at this point, if they hit you with a question, you can just come over the top and be like, you know how many people the curse King Tut has actually killed? Do you know about that? It's 25 to 27. How about that? Let's not talk about my romantic future. Let's talk about that quarter of a hundred people that a ghost has choked the fuck out. You want to talk about that instead? These mashed potatoes are delicious. You know, that was my idea for picking the curse of King Tut for the holiday special. I'm also getting a hold of how much, how much research and how long it's going to take me to be able to make one of these. Cause I think I did the first two pretty close to one another. And then I've, I've been looking under Tink King Tut for too long. Like my brain is full of Tut right now and it's, it's just bleeding into my regular life. I'm trying to talk to King Tut about like to anybody in my life. <laughs> and so like, I have to record it now. Like a week is too long to look into something or else I become like a strange bootleg Egyptologist or whatever subject I'm talking about. But anyway, so let's get going on it. Uh, okay, so the Curse of King Tut. I asked my older sister before I even started looking into it, like, hey, what, if you were going to listen to a thing on the Curse of King Tut, what would you want to know about it? And she was like, I don't even know what that is. What are you even talking about right now? I don't even know. What are you talking about? Curse of what? <laughs> she had no idea what it was at all. So if you don't know what the Curse of King Tut is, King Tut's an Egyptian pharaoh. He, the tomb was discovered in 1922. After the tomb was discovered, mysterious deaths started happening to the people who excavated the tomb and also other people related to the tomb, people who visited the tomb. A lot of mysterious deaths. And the press in 1923 picked up the story and spun it to be some sort of incredible supernatural curse that's fucking killing people, which it kind of was, it turns out. Uh, and then movie motion pictures the mummy the modern day mummy trilogy which i hope you've all seen even the third one with the chinese emperor is pretty good that's all coming off of this original uh, set of things that happened that caused the curse of king tut so where do we get started all right story starts in 1903 there's a rich dude from england and his name is lord Carnarvon. right so he is rich as shit like not lizard people rich, but he, he lives in an insane mansion. Like, if you've seen the second Mummy movie, where the O'Connells live in a nice house after they found the Mummy and they're rich now, that house looks like what 
Lord Carnarvon's house looked like. This guy's got generational wealth forever, right? So he's not, it's 1903. This dude buys one of the first race cars and almost immediately gets into like a Great Gatsby car crash where like there's no roll cage, there's no car. It's just a convertible. He takes a turn, coming in hot, gets flipped out, almost dies. So the, the prevailing wisdom for pulmonology in Great Britain in 1903 apparently was either, okay, you got a problem, because Carnarvon had really bad lungs. He would get infections after this car crash. He almost died. So he went to the pulmonologist back then, and the only answers they had were like rest or you got to go live in Egypt. Those are really the only two things that they had going for him. So if you're a rich guy and you got fucked up lungs back then, you just go live in Egypt, at least for the winters. So Carnarvon's doctors, like, if you stay here during the wintertime, you're going to fucking die of infection. You got to go live down there. You know, it's not so bad. The dry heat's nice for you, and you're rich, so anywhere's pretty good. So don't worry about it. Head on down. Carnarvon's, like, sick. Sounds good. He goes down, and he starts hanging out in Egypt. While he's hanging out in Egypt, he runs into a relatively unknown archaeologist named Howard Carter. Howard Carter is not a lifelong rich guy. Howard Carter is like a blue-collar dude who, from all accounts, a lot of people say he was pretty crabby. Like, he was just kind of a grumpy dude doing his thing. He was not the same personality type as Lord Carnarvon. So Carter and Carnarvon meet because Howard Carter discovers a tablet that has a name of King Tutankhamun, King Tut. Right? And so up until now, in the Valley of the Kings, where all the archaeology was taking place, people thought that all the tombs had already been found. People were like, we got all the names of the pharaohs, we found all their fucking tombs, this place is cool, but there's nothing here anymore. Right? But Carter has this knowledge about a pharaoh that hasn't been found yet, and by chance he runs into Carnarvon, who's got a bunch of money, not a whole lot to do while he's doing, you know, looking in archaeology. He's doing like rich guy shit when he's down there, but he's looking for adventure. And that's how Howard Carter sells him like, yo, dude, give me your money. I can find this Pharaoh. You will be rich. I'm not lying to you. I promise to you, just give me a lot of money for a long time. I'll find this Pharaoh. It'll be fine. Carnarvon's like, yeah, fuck it. It's fine. Go for it. Let's start looking. I'm excited. You seem like you know what you're doing and you're grumpy. I trust that. So Howard Carter starts digging, looking for the tomb, uh, the tomb of King Tut. But there's no, you don't have any ground penetrating radar. You don't have any metal detectors. There's no way to even kind of see where this shit might be. And it's a whole valley. It's the Valley of the Kings. So Carnarvon gives Carter a lot of money, and Carter just starts grid blocking, just starts pick, like just digging holes. Just I'm all right. Let's look to the left. How you feel about left? I feel good. We got a whole valley. Let's just start digging. So Carter starts digging. Years go by. For five years, Howard Carter finds nothing. And every at the end of every year, Carnarvon's like, hey, man, this is getting a little, you know, you got anything? You got trinkets, coins? What's going on? I'm just writing checks. You, you haven't found anything? Are you lying to me? And every year, Carter's like, I got it. Dude. Don't even worry about it. I totally understand. I'm still looking. So at the end of the fifth year, Carnarvon is like, Howard Carter, you lied to me, dude. You are a con man, I feel like. But I'm not, you know, I look, man, even if you tried your best, it's been five fucking years, dude. Let's, on, let's just call it. I understand. You tried. 
it's fine. Howard Carter lies to him and he's like, look, we only have a little bit of this shit left. We only have a little bit. We've dug up the entire thing. We've dug up the entire thing. I'm telling you, just give me one more year. We can find this King Tut dude. I'm telling you, he's down here. We only got a little bit left. And Carter's in England. He's like, all right, that sounds good. There's no way to verify that you're not lying to me. Okay, we'll give you one more year. Now, three days after that conversation, a boy carrying water on a donkey around the dig site, the donkey's foot goes into a hole. The earth is loose. Donkey foot go into the hole. Donkey goes down. Boy goes down. Donkey foot discovers what would become the tomb of King Tut. They weren't. They were digging around it, so the earth was kind of loose. Donkey foot. Pop goes weasel. Tomb, tomb King Tut found it. Way to go. So Howard Carter, they dig up where the donkey fell in. They get that donkey out of there. They dig it up. They find a big slab. They open it up. It reveals a staircase down to a sealed door, which has royal seals on it. So Howard Carter at this point, if I was Howard Carter, this is when I'm the most excited because I've been bad at my job for five years. I've been getting yelled at by my fucking boss for five years. And I just lied to him. I got one more year. I don't have any idea what the fuck I'm going to tell him next year. So, but I found it. I found at least something. I found something to show him. So he's not going to ask me to give him his money back. At least I found something, right? Howard Carter is ecstatic. He goes and he messages Canarbin uh, via telegraph because Canarbin's chilling in England because it's the summertime. Uh, and he's like, yo, you got to get down here. Please get down here. We just found this thing. I'm telling you, dude, I told you, I told you there was just a little bit left. You thought I was, you thought I was bullshitting, dude. Get down here. Canarbin's like sick. It's going to take me two weeks. I'm coming down now. Now this is when officially King Tut's first kill happens. This is the first documented kill. So King Tut, in the two weeks that Carnarvon is coming down to see the King Tut to open it. So at the dig site, Howard Carter had a pet canary. Everybody loved, he got it for morale for his diggers, for his uh, local crew. So there's a canary, he's hanging out. Everybody loves this canary. When they're feeling down, they're like, oh, they're like, I love that canary so much. I couldn't go on if that canary, if anything ever happened, I'd be so sad for that canary. It brings me such joy, right? That's what everybody says. In the two weeks where Carnarvon's coming down, Howard Carter goes home where the canary is kept. And as he approaches the home, a houseboy comes out with two, with a, two hands with uh, just a clump of yellow feathers. And the houseboy's like, sir, a cobra ate the canary. Please do not open the tomb. And Howard Carter is documented as saying, don't be such a damn fool. <laughs> Which I love because Howard Carter, the through line of this, Howard Carter the whole time does not give a shit about this curse at all. I bet he yelled at that kid for a while, just screaming at children. That's <laughs> like Howard Carter would have eaten that cobra to prove to the kid, like, it's fine. There's no curse. Look, I ate the cobra. I ate the cobra right now. We're still going in, kid. Don't worry about it. But that... That is part of the King Tut lore, that that is the first official kill of King Tut. Canary using a cobra. Tut coming out the gate with style points using a cobra. It's a pretty good first kill. Right. So Canarbin finally gets down there. And everybody's excited. So Canarbin comes down, and the famous moment when Howard Carter 
Lord Carnarvon, I believe Carnarvon's daughter, and an unnamed assistant of Howard Carter. In more than one source, they just call the fourth guy unnamed assistant of Howard Carter, which I think is pretty fucked up. Like, you don't even say that guy's name. That guy ends up dying from the curse. He doesn't get named. Doesn't even get movie. Name's not in the credits. The guy dies in from the curse. Anyway, so those are the four people that are going to open this tomb. So Howard Carter chisels out a hole while Arthur, or I'm not, I'm sorry, while Lord Carnarvon is next to him. So Carter chisels out a hole. He's looking in with a candle. Carnarvon's like, do you see anything? And the famous line that Carter says back to him is, yes, wonderful things. Which, yeah, I mean, this was and still is regarded as one of the most incredible archaeological finds of all time. This was almost a pristine pharaoh's tomb. There was evidence of two teams of grave robbers that got in there, but there was also evidence that one of the teams got caught and murdered subsequently. That's what happened when you got caught robbing graves back then. They just cut your fucking head off. So, but most of the, it was almost completely intact. The sarcophagus, all the treasure. It was an incredible find. But they weren't supposed to go in, and the official story is that the four of them looked inside and then waited for the Egyptian officials to come down so they could all enter the tomb at the same time. There's no way they did that. There's no way There's no way Howard Carter waited for anybody to get in there. He'd been working for five years, dude. He went in there and did, like, the Ray Lewis dance on the mummy, like, on the sarcophagus. There's, there's no way he waited. And there's also uh, evidence later on that while they were uh, – while they were moving uh, from Lord Carnarvon's house, all the antiquities, they were doing an inventory of the house. They found what would be stolen Egyptian items from the tomb of King Tut. So either he took them that night or somewhere in between. Uh, but they almost certainly went in as, as soon as they opened the door. And then eventually the Egyptian officials come down. Now, this is huge. By the way. This is huge world news. People were, like, making fun of these guys. People were making fun of, like, they were talking about how Howard Carter and Carnarvon have no idea what the fuck they're doing. They're just wasting their money because everybody thought this valley was picked clean. So the discovery happens, and overnight, instant celebrities. There's no curse yet, but it's still huge world news that a new mummy's tomb has been found, and all the artifacts, you know, all the pictures disseminated. People love It's 1923. There's not much to read about. It's like, this is incredible. I mean, I'm interested in it now. That's why I'm doing this, this episode about it. It's super interesting stuff. So they're like, oh, stop making fun of us. We're good. And there's video camera footage from back then on one of the, those old style black and white video footage of Howard Carter just taking shit out of the tomb by himself. Like he would, he like just not waiting for workers to do it. There's a, there's footage where he's carrying out like a big, like a huge long body. It looks like cat dog like a long-bodied gold dog. <laughs> he's just beaming. He's just smiling like, this is going to go in my bathroom. I love this. He's like doing the Charleston dance and stuff. You can find the footage from back then. It's great. So everything's going well. Uh, they're excavating the tomb. And there is, one source did say that there was, I mean, there was writing of curses on the inside of the tomb, specifically on the inside of the tomb. Uh, it said in hieroglyphics, death will come on swift wings to those who disturb the king. That was in that was in the tomb, but allegedly there was also a stone tablet outside of the tomb that had other curses on it that were really frightening. And I love this about Howard Carter because apparently Howard Carter saw that and just put a blanket over top of it. 
so the local workers wouldn't look at it. <laughs> he just like covered it with a blanket. He was like, keep going, guys. It's fine. They don't even look. That's a special tablet. Don't look under that tablet. There's a special. People are like, what's special about it? It's like, yeah, if you look at it, you get fired. <laughs> Leave the blanket alone. Keep bringing out all this other shit. I do think it's funny that when they when they buried King Tut and put all these spells and curses and hieroglyphics and tablets to scare people, they were probably so serious. And 3,000 years later, it's just a guy's like, found it, put a blanket over that shit. I don't respect it. It's fine. Keep going. So here's the first. Okay, so the first kill. There's still no curse talk yet. This is just happy time. For the first five months after the tomb is discovered, all good press. Everybody's having a great time. Six months after they discover the cursed King Tut, Arthur Carnarvon cuts him, or I'm sorry, Lord Carnarvon. I keep calling him Arthur, and I don't know why. Lord Carnarvon cuts himself shaving. Not a big deal, but he ignores it. It then gets infected, and it gets so bad that they telegraph back to his wife, like, hey, uh, fucking, this guy's going to die down here. You got to get down here. He is not looking good. So she comes down, and she brings a specialist. By the time his wife gets down there, it's already turned into blood poisoning and it's 1923 we're done blood poisoning you're in egypt sorry man done so canarbin dies when canarbin dies all of the power goes out in egypt or in cairo when when canarbin dies all the power goes out at the same time that he dies for 20 minutes they can't they can't turn the power back on and at the same time that lord canarbin dies in egypt Back in England, his favorite dog allegedly got up out of their bed or got up out of his little dog bed, howled at the moon, and then fell over dead. King Tut got a man, an electrical grid, and a dog all at once. All at once. He even does electric work. He choked that guy's dog out. King Tut will choke your fucking dog out. I had no idea. I had, But it, it's attributed to the curse. It counts... It's his only other animal kill that I know of. He got two animal kills. He got the canary and he got the dog. But Carnarvon is his first human kill. And this is when the, the, the lure of the curse starts. Because to recoup costs from the dig, Carnarvon had sold exclusive press rights to the London Times. So after Carnarvon dies, the London Times is like, oh my God, we can, make an all, we can make a story out of this. There is a curse down there. Everybody's already interested in this. This dude just fucking died. We're going to sell so many papers. And they do. The curse catches on and everybody knows about it. It's worldwide news in a time before the internet, before cell phones. Everybody loves this story. It's got like an element of danger to it. It's great. Right? But Carnarvon's dead. That's not great. Um, but yeah, so... Everybody hears about the curse, and Howard Carter, <laughs> which I love this about him again, Carnarvon dies. The next day, Howard Carter just goes back to work. And people people were like, oh, how brave of him to go back to work. How brave. And it's like, yeah, definitely how brave. But also, the guy who just died was like his boss who was yelling at him for five, six years. I mean, the guy died. <laughs> From all indications of how Howard Carter has acted before, he was just like, yeah, fuck him. That's fine. I'm going back to work. I mean, that's very sad, but we still got a tomb to do here. I'm still excited about this. Sorry he died, but it is what it is. So Howard Carter goes right back to work. Things would get much worse from Howard Carter or for Howard Carter from here out. 
because Carnarvon, although he wasn't useful as an archaeology partner, Carnarvon controlled the press, controlled the relations with the government, and controlled tourism. With Carnarvon dead, Howard Carter is now trying to excavate a tomb that is flooded with tourists. Nobody's keeping anybody out. Howard Carter doesn't know how to interact with the Egyptian government. So he had maybe five, six months of just finding his dream treasure and being able to study it in peace. And now with Carnarvon dead, just tourists. He can't do anything. He's, he gets incredibly frustrated. And he gets pretty sad. He does start giving private tours to rich guys to make some side cash. Because there are, there are worker deaths and things like that. But Carnarvon's death is the thing that really kicked off the, the curse. And that's why so many tourists are coming down. So Howard Carter's like, fuck it, I'll give private, I'll give private dances for money. It's fine. So one of the first ones that he does, he gives a private tour to James J. Gould, which is a British industrialist. He was a popular figure at the time. Not quite a Bezos, but people know about him, right? So Gould comes down. Howard Carter gives him a tour. The next night, Gould dies of fever, officially claimed by the curse of King Tut. The newspapers love it. Howard Carter's like, God damn it. Oh, I can't get this curse talk out of here. Howard Carter didn't care about the curse talk, and he also didn't like it. It was just ruining his ability to do business. So Howard Carter continues to try to excavate the tomb of King Tut and do the best he can while working with the government. 1925, Howard Carter's like, hey, have you seen the actual body? Because there's a lot of amulets on it. I want to get those amulets off that body. I would love to do that. But he tries to do it, and people are like, no, it's the body has a lot of sap and wax on it. Those are frozen in there for 3,000 years. There's no way to get those off the body. And Howard Carter's like, hold on, I'm going to perform a medical operation to get those off. I got it. Don't worry about it. So he takes the body. He gets two Egyptian helpers, takes the body inside and performs a medical operation where he just chops the body up. He just chops it up. He just chops the body up, dismembers the body to get the amulets off it. This guy didn't give a shit about the curse. The, the two people who were helping him were, were terrified. Howard Carter, no respect for this curse, wants, wants the treasure, wants to do science, survives. Howard, nothing bad happens to Howard Carter after that. The two assistants that came with him dropped dead. They dropped dead. The two guys that helped him and that were present while he was chopping up King Tut's body die. Howard Carter does not. Who else gets hit by it? Oh, uh, King Tut tries his hand at some arson with a guy named Bruce Ingram. So as the, as the tomb was discovered, a lot of artifacts started to be claimed by different people, be given out to other people. But as the curse talk intensified and the body count rose, people would start sending artifacts back. And one of a uh, famous example of this is a guy named Bruce Ingram, who somebody gifted him a bracelet with a human, still on like a human hand, like a mummified human hand with a bracelet around it. A little rude, but he gives it to him. But there's a curse on the bracelet, and it says to anybody who receives this bra- or who disturbs this bracelet, uh, fire, flood, and pestilence uh, will afflict them. And the year that he gets the bracelet, his house burns down. And he's like, "All right, I don't know about that." Another year goes by, his house is destroyed by flood. 
Now, pestilence never affects Bruce Ingram, but two out of three, and the newspapers love this shit. That's enough. That counts. That's King Tut's taking credit for that. He burned your house down, dude. Arsonist King Tut. He already does electrical work. He works well with fire. He'll flood your shit up. But I don't think there's a name for a criminal that only uses water. I don't think. Like arsonist for water. I don't know. Water arsonist. So at this point in time, Howard Carter is incredibly frustrated with how the dig site's going, government relations. He can't get to his own dig site. He found this shit, right? He loses his mind one day, and he locks the gate. He locks everybody out. He's like, if you guys are going to treat me like this, I'm locking it out. Nobody's going in. The Egyptian government is like, this feels like British colonialism. You're banned. You're out. We're throwing you out of the country, dude. They banned Howard Carter for a year from working on the dig site that he found. And he's irate. This dude is so mad. But after a year, he's like, hey, my bad. What do you think? You haven't come back. I've dedicated most of my adult life to this. It's the only thing I love. Can I please? Even just a little bit. What do you guys think? Can I please come back? That was the gate thing. I was out of hand. I don't, you know, you just, things get, things get crazy sometimes. I'm sorry. What do you think? And Egypt's like, yeah, we'll take you back. <laughs> they take him back, but then the, the stipulation they put on him is that you no longer have claimed any of this treasure. We'll let you come here. We'll let you work on it. But because you spazzed out like a baby, you can't have any of this anymore. This is all ours now. Now our car doesn't have a choice. He just has to say, yeah, that's fine. And at least one source liked to ham it up, and they were like, and this is why Howard Carter is the worst affected by the curse of King Tut, because he was made to work on a thing he loved and never be able to possess it. And it's like, I don't know, that's not that bad. Like, that dog got choked the fuck out from 3,000 miles away. That's way worse. Like, this guy, Howard Carter never gets affected by the curse. Howard Carter lives until 1939, dies at the age of 65, a heart failure. Chopped up King Tut's body. Put a blanket over the curse. Just completely disrespectful the whole time. Built Ford Tough. Howard Carter. Way to go. Alright, so Carter dies of natural causes in 1939. Canarbin's wife would then die of a similar thing that her husband died of. She gets bitten by an insect. It gets infected. Blood poisoning down. That counts for King Tut's kill count also. So he got him and he got his wife. Tut then spices it up, and then he goes and gives Carnarvon's male secretary a heart attack in the middle of the night. I think it's weird that when I looked into this, they described this guy as being Carnarvon's male secretary. I just feel like it's like it's kind of like the fourth guy who entered the tomb. Like you can use his name, you just call him Carnarvon's assistant, Michael Pants. Like give him a like he got he got fucking killed by King Tut. Anyway, so Carnarvon's male secretary, dead in his sleep. Carnarvon's male secretary's dad kind of loses his mind a little bit, and he's like, the curse afflicted my son. King King Tut popped his heart. I'm so sad. The dad jumps off a building. Dad kills himself. Also counts towards King Tut's kill count. The hearse driving the dad of the male secretary... On the day of the funeral, then strikes and kills an eight-year-old boy, which then counts towards King Tut's curse. 
And then as that on the same day that that happens, an Egyptologist at the at the British Museum collapses and dies of a heart attack. I'm telling you, King Tut's all bad news. Like I thought this was going to be more of a fun topic than this, but he's just like he's like chain lightning killing people. It's like a I wish there was like more like lightness to this, but it's like, nah, they used a car this one time on an eight year old. And then a guy at a museum also dropped King Tut wiling out, dude. So that's, that's a, uh, that's a three pack that Tut also got. So in 1970, Egypt decides to release King Tut's treasure and the contents of the tomb outside of the country. They're going to put it on display at the British museum. British museum's like, Hey, could we, that'd be great. Egypt's kind of torn on it, but they know they'd sell a shitload of tickets to it, so it ends up happening. The Egyptian director of antiquities, on the day before the things start getting shipped out to go on display, had a dream that if he lets these treasures leave Egypt, he will die. And he told people about this. Three months after the treasures leave, he's killed in an auto accident. That also counts towards Tut's body count. On the day that the famous mask of King Tut, the thing that you see on all the posters whenever King Tut exhibits out, that gorgeous mask that's like really recognizable, the day that that gets picked up, an Egyptian official dies of a heart attack. Also count towards King Tut's body. No, King Tut's body count. So overall, we have a total kill count of 25 to 27 people. I didn't hit all of them. But I hit the I hit the ones that are recognizable. Uh, there's a lot of workers, a lot of heart attacks, and also they were miscategorized because of medical science back in the 1920s. People would just call it fever or infection or anything like that. Uh, they didn't really have a way to determine what killed a person. Now to find out what actually what science says the curse of King Tut is, you got to go to Tut's most recent kill, which is 1995, and that brings us to Cheryl and Gary Munson. Right, Cheryl and Gary Munson, married couple from Pennsylvania. They haven't had it easy. You know, when they got married, they didn't have enough money for a honeymoon, and then Cheryl got Hodgkin's disease. All right, so Cheryl goes through radiation therapy, Hodgkin's disease, beats cancer. Gary, Gary's so so happy. He just wants to provide the life that he, that he he. I bet he thought he was going to lose her for a minute, and he was like, "I'm so happy to have Cheryl back." She's great. So Gary saves up money. It's the mid-90s, Netscape bottle, you know, saves up money for the honeymoon they never had. Now, Cheryl was an art history major. She loves Egypt. She always wanted to go see King Tut. Gary buys their dream vacation to Egypt. They go down there, and they have a great time. There's a bunch of pictures. Cheryl's in front, you know, whooping it up, having a great time in front of the Sphinx, making a funny face. I'm on a camel. You know, all those great, great memories, right? They make a ton of memories. It's incredible. It's a dream vacation for Cheryl. So they go to King Tut's tomb at one point. And in King Tut's tomb, while they're looking at it, there is a guard in the tomb to make sure nobody does anything. But Cheryl's an art history major, and she had a professor tell her that if you ever get into King Tut's tomb, you got to touch the paint. It's incredible. You'll never get another chance to do it in your entire life. You got to touch the paint. And so Cheryl leans in and gets close. And then Cheryl touches the paint on the wall and gets scolded by the guard who's watching her. 
But, you know, Gary's like, yeah, that's why I love her. You know, she takes risks. Why not? You know, I'm so sorry. We're leaving. We'll go back to Pennsylvania. Yeah, he touched the paint, babe. It's fine. They go back to Pennsylvania. And uh, and Cheryl develops a cough in three weeks. And then 10 days after that, uh, she dies in the hospital of respiratory failure. Now... They test. They don't know what's wrong with Cheryl, why she passed away. Uh, they do a lung biopsy, and they discover a rare fungus in Cheryl's lungs called Aspergillus niger. It's, there's no reason it should be in there. And then actually the University of Pennsylvania, Gary's like, I bet that shit came from King Cut's tomb, dude. I fucking know it. So they go, to, they go to the University of Pennsylvania. University of Pennsylvania then tests King Tut's tomb, the paint on the walls. Aspergillus niger. What happened is that King Tut's burial uh, may have been a rush job because nobody expected him to die, or he was murdered. There's speculation that he was uh, he was murdered by the priest class for trying to bring Egypt into uh, monotheism. But either way, the way that the tomb was constructed was in such a way that it trapped Aspergillus niger inside for three thousand years which then grew and grew. And then when people opened the tomb, Aspergillus niger for people uh, who have weak immune systems can attack their lungs and then cause lung failure. And that's what happened because Cheryl got Hodgkin's disease when they first got married. And then unfortunately, when they went to King Tut's tomb, you know, I, dude, I re- I'm sorry to bring you guys down so much. I read that and it bummed me out so hard that like, I feel I feel for Gary Munson so bad. He was just, he tried to provide the dream vacation for his babe, you know. And it's just there's nobody even to get mad at. And I I think he's doing all right now because I saw him. He does inter- he did an interview about it. He did like dramatic recreations and he did an interview about it. But I can't imagine, dude. Good for him. That's horrific that you go and you provide the. Dream vacation for your wife. There's no reason to get mad. You can't like go on a John Wick spree on like an ancient mummy from 3,000 years ago, dude. I fucking would lose my mind, dude. Shout out Gary Munson. Jesus. Don't put up a fucking sign or something. Anyway, so that's actually what the curse of King Tut is. It's at a fungus. Uh, the best science can explain it. It's either a fungus that was trapped in there and then released when they opened it. Uh, or some of the deaths were related based upon... Uh, people's biases of believing in the curse, like the male secretary's dad, you know, Aspergillus Niger didn't cause that. Um, you know, believing in the curse did. So, sorry to bring you guys down at the end there, but it was a scientific reveal of what the curse of King Tut actually was. So, hey, this has been the holiday episode. Uh, hopefully, you walk away with some King Tut knowledge, some facts you can hit Aunt Dito with. If she gets you with any questions or anything. Um, and yeah, if you've listened to this, this is the third episode. Thanks for that. This is awesome. I hope you guys have a nice holiday, and uh, I'll see you next week. Take care.